I thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd enlighten our hearts with it right now. Give us courage and strength and the ability to endure. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, in Jesus Christ. Amen. James writes, and remember, he's, he's writing to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. Uh, this is why he doesn't set a lot of the foundations of the faith again. The assumption there uh, is that the foundations are there. But he really breaks out here at the, the chapter 5 with, a, I think, what is a prophetic thing. So I don't think he's necessarily talking to the Jewish Christians at this stage, but really giving a, a prophecy into an unrighteous marketplace that is abusing workers that is where the rich seem to get richer and the poor get poorer, uh, where businesses are enriching themselves uh, to the detriment of their workers, uh, where there's uh, unfair wages, uh, unfair distribution of wealth. Uh, really sounds a whole lot like our world today, quite frankly. And so he speaks into this, but he speaks into this to also speak to the Christians. And he says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl, For the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eating. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is speaking such kind words there, isn't he? Then he goes on. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So clearly here, James is speaking into a situation where uh, in the marketplace, and understand, in James' day, a lot of business was agricultural business. A lot of the work for people was on the farm, uh, and a lot of the, the business of the day was farming, producing food, trading that food in the marketplace, and so on and so forth. And so he's speaking in to this kind of situation, and he's speaking into a situation where you have wealthy people who owned the land. 
They're kind of like business owners or stock owners today. They owned the land, that is, they owned the means of production. They owned the ability to generate wealth. You have this where these have just accumulated riches for themselves to the detriment of other people, so that the people who were laboring, who who were mowing the fields, who were taking care of the fields, they weren't getting their wages. The people would have money to pay them, but what was happening is they'd say, oh, well, I will pay you eventually when the harvest comes in. Even though they had the money in their their reserves, their ability to pay, they would tell the laborers, okay, we're not going to pay you until we get profit, until we get the harvest come in, even though we're sitting on, on all of these things. And then you had situations where people were reaching, who were actually bringing in the harvest, who also weren't being treated fairly. Instead, the people who are owning the business, who are owning the stocks, who are owning the companies, if you will today, looking at the, the modern, uh, the modern uh, uh, parallels here, these people were living in luxury. They were doing everything that they wanted to do. They were enjoying their lives. They were building their super mega rich yachts. Uh, they were creating uh, extraordinary wealth, extraordinary houses, uh, financing their own families and things, but allowing other families to fall into rot and ruin. And it really does sound like a situation that is present today. Uh, and in fact, today is not really that unusual. If you look back throughout history, the same kind of pattern is repeated time after time after time after time in history. The same kind of ownership of wealth, the same kind of disparity between the haves and have-nots, all of these things have existed at various points of time in history. And the temptation, when we see this, and we see the unrighteousness of it, we see the injustice of it, and it is unrighteous, and it is unjust, uh, not that profit is unrighteous, now, this is not a diatribe against doing business. This is not a diatribe against profit. This is not a diatribe against making money. This is not a diatribe against being successful. And this is certainly not a diatribe that would lead us to become communistic. Because that's not what he was advocating. And certainly that would not have been even in, in his thoughts of, uh, of some kind of form of, of communism, socialism, that, that kind of dynamic. What he's advocating for, what he sees is that the laborer is worthy of his hire, that people should get paid a just wage, that they should receive the kind of wage that they need to survive on, what we'd call today kind of a living wage type scenario that you should get an honest day's pay for an honest day's wage. These kinds of dynamics would have been in James's thought as, as he was writing here. But the temptation then is for us who see the truth, who see the fundamental injustice of it all, who see the unrighteousness of it all, who see the gross sin and how, how so many people are being taken advantage of and kept down and not allowed to prosper. It's tempting for us to see it and want to rise up in rebellion, to rise up into anger, to take up arms uh, and to come against this with violence and with vileness and, and, and just attacking to try to force things to come into righteousness. But as James has already told us, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
it's clear that the situation doesn't please God. And I don't think any thinking Christian could look at the economic system that's operating in many nations of the world today and say that this is pleasing God. The unmanageable debt, the printing money willy-nilly, the allowing of people to get extraordinarily wealthy while other people suffer and struggle to be able to pay even for a modest house in the area where they work. There's nobody that would argue that these things are right. There's nobody that would argue that these things are good. There's nobody that would argue these things are God. And actually, there's very few people who would argue that even these things are, represent capitalism or the antidote is communism or socialism or something like that. We know that the righteousness of God is something different. And we know that God's standards and God's plans, what God shares with us, what God tells us in places like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs is something radically different than what we see now. And so how do we deal with this? How do we come against this? How do we act? How do we live in light of this? And James says, we need to be patient. It's one of the hardest things to do. We need to be patient until the coming of the Lord. And what is James telling us there? He's telling us That no matter how hard we would try as broken, sinful human beings, we cannot fix what is wrong. No matter how much work, no matter how much effort, if we had a parliament that was 100% evangelical Christian, including the House of Lords, we could not correct what was wrong. Because it's so fundamentally broken with sin... It's so fundamentally unrighteous that the only person who can govern this world in righteousness and truth, the only one who can break the wrong things and make them right, the only one who could redistribute wealth appropriately, the only one who could satisfy the needs of people to have gainful employment to provide for their families, the only one that could do that is the Lord. And it's only when Jesus comes again that this kind of righteous government will come to pass on this planet. And that's the promise of the book of Revelation, and certainly that is the hint here of James. And so he says, just think of yourself as a farmer. Everything that we're doing, we're planting into the world. As Christians, we're sowing into the world. As Christians, we are being the salt. We are being a godly leaven. All of these things we are adding into the world. And the thing is, if you're going to leaven a loaf of bread, it takes time. You can't put the yeast in and put it immediately into the oven. thing is, if you're going to plant crops that will grow something, it takes time. The thing is, if you're going to salt your food, it takes time for it to be mixed in. And so we have to be patient. And the way to do that is to establish our hearts in the Lord. To realize that it is the Lord that can bring this about. It is the Lord's desire to bring this about. It is the Lord's promise to bring this about. And that as we live this life, our hearts, our lives, our being as human beings must be focused in on Jesus Christ. On his righteousness, on his truth, on his godliness, on his life, and let us live out of that life. Because if our hearts are established in Jesus, then we will naturally become more like Jesus. We see this all the time when kids, when they start to idolize a certain pop star, for example. 
The child will start to dress like that pop star. Use some of, the, some of the examples or some of the turns of phrases the pop star will use. Why do they do that? Because their heart is being established in that person. And a natural thing, if our hearts are established in someone, to become like the person, to grow more and more like them. And this is what James is saying. We establish our hearts in the Lord so that we will become more like Jesus and so that we will live our lives as Jesus would live his life if he was us, so that we would live that out in the marketplace every single day, patiently working according to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ until that day when Jesus comes again. But until that day, until that day, it won't all be right. Until that day, we'll always have these struggles. And so we have to be established in the Lord and realize that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. His coming today is sooner than it was yesterday. We don't know when, but he's coming. But as we do that, James also cautions us about two things. He says, we got to be patient. We need to be established in the Lord. But as we do so, so, we must not grumble against one another. One of the things that people tend to do, and I've seen this all the time, is that when people are dissatisfied with something they can't control, they tend to grumble about something they think they can control. So a lot of times over my life, I've seen a lot of people who are unhappy at church. They're always complaining. They're trying to control. They're trying to put a negative spin. And many times, if you look at the life of that person, there's some area of their life that is out of control. It might be their marriage. It might be their job. It might be their children. Uh, There's some dynamic in their life that's out of control And so they try to exercise that control in the area where they think they can control. And because most of the time we Christians are nice, they think they can control us. And that happens time and time again. And what happens when things are bad on the outside and we see a situation like the unrighteousness and injustice that's in the world today, our tendency is to complain and grumble about one another and not really focus on the unrighteousness. And he says, don't do that. Because if you do that, you simply become a judge. But there's only one judge, and that's God, and you're not God. And also, as soon as you start grumbling and complaining, you lose your prophetic edge in society. A church that constantly is grumbling and complaining against each other cannot speak prophetically into the injustice of society. That's what James is saying here. He's saying, think about the, the prophets. They were patient. They were not grumbling. They, 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 we, we, we honored them because they were steadfast and they continued in this. So we must not grumble against each other because if we grumble against each other, we will lose our prophetic edge. Instead, we need to remember as we deal with one another the compassion and mercy of the Lord and show each other that same compassion and mercy. And then the second thing he says, but above all, do not swear either by heaven or earth or any other earth, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into condemnation. When we see these kinds of situations, when we see this just injustice, what we want to do is make all these vows and say, I'm going to fight this to the death. I'm going to oppose this until my end. I'm going to be against this no matter what. Uh, I'm going to, I, I will be lifelong in this political party or that political party. And what we 
we end up doing is we make these vows and we make these oaths about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we begin to fall into the presumption that James talked about in the passage we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago. We get to begin to fall into the pride and the arrogance around that. And James says, don't do that. Don't have that attitude. Instead, resolve what is the right thing to do and then choose to do it. And resolve what is the wrong thing to do and then choose not to do it. And don't make a vow, don't make a big deal out of it, but simply say, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. Don't lose your head and start making these empty vows and these empty promises because ultimately you condemn yourself when you do that. Instead, be patient. Establish your heart in the Lord. Don't grumble against your brothers and sisters, but instead show them compassion and mercy and make a resolution of how God wants you to act and then act in that way. Make that choice until Jesus comes and his kingdom is established. And the promise we have is that that day is coming. We have that promise in both the cross and the empty tomb. Because Jesus said he would die, and then on the third day he'd rise again. And he did that. And Jesus ascended into heaven and says, hey, I'm coming again. And the empty tomb is a guarantee for us, is a promise for us that Jesus will keep his word. And the day will come when justice and righteousness will reign in our land. Let's pray. God, we honor you, and we worship you, and we thank you for your promise. And I pray, Father, that as we see all this injustice, as we see this unrighteousness, as we see the oppression of people and how people can't afford to live, how people struggle to pay the bills, how people are coming into unmanageable debt, how the wealthy just seem to get wealthier and the poor get poorer. And we want to shake our fists and cry out. We know that this is not the way you desire. This is not justice and righteousness according to your word. And we thank you for the confidence that we have that one day you will come again and put all the wrong things right. Until that day, help us to be patient with our hearts fully established in you, showing compassion and mercy to those around us and acting with a calm resolution to do your will and to walk in your ways all to the glory and honor of Jesus. We choose to trust you now, and we praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.